This is your host, Aram Mukumuf, and uh, you're listening to yet another episode of the Product Innovation Series. Uh, the guest today that I have is a talented director of product at Circle. Her name is Rachel Foles. Um, under her leadership, uh, the Circle product has grown from a small email comps tool into something set up by Fortune 500 companies. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so the first question I have, um, wanted to ask you, what are you most excited about when someone from your friends or social circles bring up product management? Well, I think like a lot of product managers, I'm first excited that they even know remotely what it is that I do all day and I love so much. And so I'd love to have the opportunity to talk about product, to talk about how product touches their lives and how exciting it is to work kind of interdisciplinary on a daily basis. I really do love product. And so what 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 got you into product? What made you, you know, have that passion, a desire to work in in this uh, realm? Yeah, so uh, I originally started out as an online journalist, and this was way early days, like before app stores, before Facebook, everything like that. Uh, and so I was doing that, and then I got in charge of digital products for small TV stations. And that was really, really exciting, and I loved it, and it was fast, and there was so much to learn with data and design and user experience. And as I reached the end of that cycle of my life, I was thinking, I was like, gosh, it would be so cool to have a job where I really got to dig into the data and understand how people were using these things that we were putting out and work across you know all these stations to make it better to work with designers to optimize these experiences and in the back of my mind i thought this isn't a real job that's not a real job rachel there's no way anybody gets to have that much fun every day uh, and when i joined circle six years ago it was originally in a marketing director capacity but i always kept getting drawn into product into development and we were so young then that our ceo was doing most of our product. And so when we were ready to make a real push towards being a more formalized product organization, I was thrilled that I got the opportunity to run it. Amazing. Um, in a few sentences, can you tell uh, our audience, uh, what is Circle? What do you do? What makes you different? Absolutely. So Circle is an internal comm software really built to help companies reach staff wherever they are. So we have offerings across email and then channels that staff use like SharePoint and Teams. We have a mobile app. So it's really about connecting businesses and their messages with staff. Okay. And, and how many how, how many people did you have in the company when you first joined? Four. So um, I was three. I was number three to be hired other than the co-founders. So what was what was the company like? What was the product like, maybe more specifically, when you joined? Yeah. From a company perspective, I was actually uh, a client. And so I was working in library marketing. And I had someone had sent me a demo of them, like, showing off the product, the CEO. And I asked for a demo. I didn't know that I was, like, one of the early, early customers. And so I got a demo. I loved the product. It made perfect sense to me. I was like, I do not want to make newsletters for these people individually, I need some sort of smarts behind the newsletter to make it work, to make it personalized to the people. Libraries have a lot of different aged users and a lot of different experiences that they try to support. And so I used the product 
and I loved it. And there were just a few things that I asked for here and there, and they were always super responsive. And so even within maybe six months of me using the product, we were working closely together. We were doing webinars and things like that. And then not long after that, they asked me to come on as marketing. I was very surprised because of how well put together the product was that it was being operated with such a small staff. Um, and it really was a great introduction to the way that software, we can make a huge impact with a really limited staff set as long as those people are operating from empathy and operating from a passion to do great work. Okay. And um, I always like asking this question in terms of what do product leaders do when they first join a new company, startup or enterprise in terms of getting uh, their foot in the door when it comes to um, getting on board with the product, you know, the vision, the strategy, the roadmap. Mm-hmm. What were some of like the first, what is your first few things that you did or like your first month or two months there that you um, went through so that uh, you could share that story? Sure. So we're building from scratch here, right? We're building a product team from scratch. We're doing it all for the first time. So the first thing I really wanted to understand was the competitive landscape. Where did we mark in the market? How are we performing there? Then secondarily, but probably more important is I worked to develop really great relationships with those first few big customers that mean a lot to us, that had a use case that we were trying to expand on um, in an industry that we wanted to be in. I worked really hard to develop those relationships and partnerships across departments too. Okay. Curious, what, uh, with your first point that you did, what did you do actually when, uh, did you do like, you know, what is it called? Secret shopping or whatever around to kind of see where your product stacks against the competitors? Like what kind of research did you do? Yeah, so there's a couple different things that I did in the beginning. Um, always when we lost a sale, because we're enterprise, we would log who we lost it to. Did we lose it to no solution at all? Did we lose it to a competitor? And then as competitors came online, because a lot have come online during this period, we're also um, analyzing what their former clients are telling us about why they left. Right, so that was the first level of things, but we've gotten a lot more sophisticated over the years with the way that we're examining and comparing ourselves to our competitors. And so we look a lot at what they're doing, what they say they're doing, what their help desk shows they're actually doing, and trying to iron out kind of the difference between marketing and uh, action. Okay, and the other point you mentioned, just wanted to ask a question there. What were some you know, good practices or principles you did when you came on to build those relationships with those key enterprise customers? Like, how did you do, how did you introduce yourself? What were some of the things that you said or, or did that kind of created that bond? Right. I think the key to great relationships in that way, especially in early days, is to do a lot more listening than you're doing talking. Ask great questions, ask specific questions, wait for answers ask open-ended questions. My favorite question in user testing is, if you could wave a magic wand and change three things about your work inside Circle Broadcast every day, what would you change? And those answers are so illuminating and they help us really understand the problems that our customers are facing beyond just they're trying to get a message to an employee. What does it feel like? What are the barriers that they're hitting? How can we help them every day? So I would say just asking great questions and staying open. Okay. And knowing you could be um, wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think that's key. Um, through the growth that you went through with Circle, you know, uh, since that time joining, 
was there like a moment, a feature, an event that kind of dramatically changed how product growth started to happen or evolve? So we had signed a very big customer. Um, we have an NDA with them, so I can't really say who they are, but you would know them. And um, they had one feature in particular that they loved, that a competitor had that we didn't have. And they worked with us to really understand what they were doing with that feature, why it meant so much to what they were trying to achieve. And me and my principal product designer really sat down with them and we listened and they showed it to us. And when we saw what they were doing, how they loved something that was so poorly thought out, so badly executed, but they needed it so badly that felt like this awesome opportunity to build something that fulfilled the need, but also was excellent to use. And that was a real turning point for us in um, expanding where we are by listening to the customers and letting them really, really show us things that they actually like on solutions that they're leaving. Okay. Um, what uh, when you work with your principal designer, you mm -hmm. know, in this specific situation, what kind of relationship, because uh, I know it's key, especially in early stage startups building a product, like how do you act as like partners in crime? Like what are some things that, you know, you do uh, to make each of your lives easier? Like, you know, in terms of like certain responsibilities and, you know, setting boundaries against certain things. Like what did you do, you know, that you want to share? I think in all creative partnerships, there has to be trust and there has to be respect. And there has to be a shared communication between two people that you're both, from your perspective, trying to do the best work possible. You know, um, it's very strong opinions loosely held. We have over the years, I mean, we've been working together, this principal product designer, his name's Sam Huber, he's out there. Uh, we've been working together for a very, very long time. And so there is a language between us um, and a shared understanding that was developed through a lot of battles about what actually matters to our customers. He responds super well to data and understanding and making sure that we're taking time to build context so that he can look things more holistically. Sometimes we have a default to run fast, but are we running in the right direction? And so respecting that a designer is more than just a person who can move the pixels around for you. What they are is another creative partner who has a different kind of mind than you do that can help you see around corners to make the things that, because if you make something amazing, but it's terrible to use, then you might as well have not made it, right? But if you make something great, that people love to use you've really done something miraculous and designers make the difference that's true um a longer similar type of line of questioning um is there any secret that you've uncovered when it comes to managing um expectations or you know roles between designers and developers so that they work better together so we have been exceptionally lucky in this way, especially starting out small, um, that those relationships have developed over time. But as we've gotten bigger, I've seen a personal struggle in making sure that all parties understand the context. Um, and the context needs to be delivered in different ways. As far as keeping those teams aligned, I think that it's going to be like a broken record, but 
understanding each other makes a lot of difference. And taking the time to listen, to see what they're seeing, help me understand what you're seeing that brings this concern. Um, let me make that change for you because I respect what you're saying and the view. Not everyone wins everything, and but if we're all throw away the ego and we're focused on the outcome, if we're focused on the customer, then we're going to get to the right place. But it, it takes time and it matters. It's work that matters, even when it's hard to make time for it. It is work that matters. Okay. Um, last time we, I think, connected, you mentioned your interest and passion towards user testing, which I, I think is I love critical. It. Yeah. And you love it. So, <laughs> um, what does user testing look like for you at Circle, and how many do you do? Yeah. So we do a few each quarter, um, and our basically. Process is something we're working on right now um, as a company, as we grow, but we always, if we reach a certain number of unknowns or a certain level of size, we have to stop and say, okay, we should really test this. We should be sure that if we do this mountain of work that it's going to matter to people, it's what they really need. So um, my base user test comes from Don't Make Me Think, um, which is a book by Steve Krug, I believe, and I, that was just like a copy and paste, that's where we start. But then we grow it from there, from what we learn. You read a million articles, you take all the LinkedIn classes, you do all the things, you learn and you learn. Um, and the user testing are some of the most interesting conversations that we have because they really open up to you to explain and it really helps you see where things might need to be reprioritized. Not because they say that I need a widget, it's because they're saying I have a problem. Um, so I just love user testing. I think that it is the most valuable time we spend with our customers. And the way that we do it, my um, idea, what I tell the other people in product is, this should be a meeting that they love to come to. This should be a meeting where they literally leave with not a single item on their checklist. They just have to be present. We just need their opinions. We need their experience. They have nothing to do for us. We're gonna do it for them. They get to sit back and just let it wash over them, enjoy it, and spend the time feeling heard. That's really interesting. I, maybe we could go into a bit more detail there, mm -hmm. but what, with your experimentations and learnings when it came comes to doing user testing, any specific methodologies or processes or templates or, you know, whatever, that you've evolved over time that has worked better for you that you could, you know, share with like other to other product managers because time and time again i've been in i've sat in i sometimes ran different user testing and it's it's a process like you mm -hmm. know um it's always hard to say this is the perfect way to do it right mm -hmm. but want to see what your perfect way that you've come to is well so i would say number one the best user testing is the one that you do Sometimes people let perfection of an idealized state prevent them. You're never going to get to the perfect moment. You're never gonna to get to the perfect screens or the perfect process. If you're not doing, you're not learning. So I'd say that is the first thing. Do the user test. Start with the base script from Don't Make Me Think and grow it over time. Use your iteration mind to do so. Um, 
I prefer for the feedback to go into Google Forms because I want it in a very well formatted spreadsheet so we have large visibility across the organization. Everyone can see what everyone has said during this. The person who's doing the test should not be the scribe for that, should not be categorizing that feedback. They should be very present with the, with the user. Um, one thing I do that uh, the product person's camera is always on in my tests, but the designer's camera is off. Um, it's hard sometimes to watch people flail a little bit when you think you've made it super obvious. Um, so the product people are a little bit better about keeping a peaceful face when someone is floundering <laughs> a bit, but the designers, uh, because they feel very passionately about the experience that they've created, um, I don't want to give it away any, so I let them keep that camera off. Did okay, that clarify? Thanks, thanks, thanks. Perfect, yeah. Um, next question I have is that in a, in a, in a product, when you're in a, when you're building a product within a startup, uh, there's always a lot of people who have advice, whether that's <laughs> internal, whether that's external, whether that's clients, whether that's friends, whoever, right? Um, and everybody always has something to say. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's wrong or incorrect. How have you personally gotten around to like filtering out? what you want to take what you want to you know um a discredit or you know not absorb um any kind of filter mechanism <laughs> that you've established so i take all of it but what i act on is a little bit different frequency matters the most to me and especially when i'm hearing the same thing from multiple parts of the business from different user groups company sizes um, and we begin to connect the dots to say, they said a, but way over here in sales, they're saying a, but also the engineers are saying we have some debt to clean up on the same part of that product feels like it might be the right time to tackle this. And especially when you're in something that is coming across the whole organization, user testing, super valuable, validating with the solution holders, very, very important as well. But I take all of it. For me, there's no, no such thing as too much information. Sometimes I think people wish we acted on it faster, like that they said something and we did something. Um, but there are so many things, so many possibilities of what we could build. So we really have to be strategic with the resources. I think every company has to be strategic with their resources, no matter what size that they are. So I will take all of it, but I only act on some of it. Okay. Any bad recommendations you hear in product industry, in the product world? So I'm a product Reddit person, and <laughs> there is a, a lot of venom and vitriol there in the old uh, product Reddit. A lot of it is about, it seems like shutting out stakeholders, not letting them you know, hold their stake, not letting them share, and also trying to control devs or trying to kind of speed up developers' work or influence their work that's kind of outside what they really should be doing. I don't think that that's any way to build understanding. I don't think that's any way to build a team. Okay. And throughout your career in, in, in product, were there any kind of big wake up call moments, which kind of changed the way you think your perspective on certain things? What was like the number one or the top two things? I would say hiring our first associate product manager. So, it was and has been like a truly watershed moment for me. I've led people before 
and have been leading people for a very long time, but something about this, it felt different because everything I was doing or kind of holding up with duct tape, it all was laid bare to be only effective for one person, not scalable, utterly broken. And so everything looked like it was going fine, but really it wasn't, right? And so I think that that is, has been really an intense learning experience, but in the most possible way, like very, very positive for us. Um, and then secondarily, I'd say moving to Scrum, we did that, I wanna say November of last year, and I was excited. Um, predictability is really cool, frequent releases are really cool, but I think I grossly underestimated how much additional work would be there for product people in Scrum. Mm. Can you elaborate on, I want to elaborate on both answers, but let's start off with the Scrum one first. Yeah. What additional work did you come across as becoming required? Yeah. Um, so prior to this, I would say it was just Kanban and they were pulling through whatever they wanted. So I had very little I could advocate and all of that, but it, there was not a backlog to be ordered in accordance with what the business needed, right? So we were kind of operating in the dark and it would be like peekaboo surprise, there's going to be a release coming up. And that was very hard for me to deal with on the business side of the house. But the extra work really comes from the details that need to be present, the amount of forethought, and so sometimes things would sit on the other side of the process and they would get kind of questions would roll through. But with Scrum, it feels like we're acting faster, but there needs to be so much more detail present, but just the right mix of detail um, so it's not prescriptive. And it really changed the way that we write requirements and the way that we design and how much fidelity has to be present to be effective. Mm, okay. And the other response, what would you have done differently with that associate product manager? I wish that I would have spent more time thinking about the process. I knew I needed help. I am certain that she's the perfect person, but I don't think that I gave it because I was so overwhelmed with tasks. I don't think that I gave it the amount of thought that it deserved and preparing for her and making sure that we had good processes in place that she would be able to step into. She's done a wonderful job um, despite the chaos. And so that's great, okay. but it was a big learning moment for me. Okay. Um, any product lessons or principles that over the years you keep coming back to that are like, you know, core to your fundamentals? To me at this moment, and it's been this way since I've been here at Circle, don't let great get in the way of good. It is my business tattoo. Uh, I don't have a tattoo, business tattoo, but if I were to have to get one, it would be that, you know, good in the world is so much better than great and perfect in your head. Let's get it out there. We have mechanisms to measure. We have mechanisms to see what people are and are not doing, how they're adopting. But if it's just stuck on a board or in her head or um, in a file somewhere, we're never going to learn from that. So even if it's imperfect, let's keep it moving. Let's get it out there and let people show us what they need. Okay. Last question before the fireside format. Okay. It's a good prelude to it. Um, what aspects of product development money can't fix? If your product is not built with passion or love or empathy, the user is going to feel it. 
the belief that business software gets to be have bad user experience or be clunky or unattractive has been out the window for a very long time. They pay to use your software. It's important to them. It is what they do for a living. Treat it with the respect that it deserves. Make your user's experience great. Um, they shouldn't have a better user experience in any given app on their phone than they are for your software. We can all do okay. better. All right, fireside format. Okay. So a couple questions, quick responses. Right. Um, how do you ask better questions in product? Practice, keep practicing, ask differently. If you weren't satisfied with the answer or you didn't get an answer, rephrase it or ask different people and ask for feedback on how you could have made it better. Okay. What have you become better saying no to over the years? Big effort, little impact things that are really only impact one organization, no matter how important that organization is to our business. Um, you don't want a product full of buttons, toggles, and switches. You want one that makes an impact. Okay. Um, as a product leader, if you were to work only two hours per week, what would you want to prioritize your time towards? I would prioritize it towards listening to both our customers and the people on the ground doing the work so I could understand how to make it all better. Okay. Any controversial views you hold in product? I do. <laughs> I have a controversial view. Um, I think that execution trumps strategy a lot of the time. It goes back to, you know, great in the way of good. You have to get the work done. It can't just stay on a board. So strategy is important, okay. but execution matters. Okay. Any profession other than what you're doing right now, would you like to attempt? I could see a path in operations. I think I would enjoy that. Um, I like people. I like complex problems. So I could see that. Okay. What's been the most worthwhile personal investment you've, you've made to date in your career? I'm going to go very basic, and I'm going to say my AirPods. I love my AirPods. <laughs> The noise canceling part, or, or uh, no, or just the part uh, where it's just or? like pop, pop, and you're in, and they're super great to use as a product. They're a very mindful product. Um, as far as educational investment, the most bang for the buck I received was with Coursera's like Google Analysis course, like learning more about data analysis. That was a very worthwhile hundred dollars. Okay. Any any books, one, two books that you've read that greatly influence what you do? I could give you a hundred books <laughs> that I love books. Um, my most important product book, I would say, would be inspired by Marty Kagan. It's really about empathy. It's about user testing. It's totally right up my alley. Um, the one that I am thinking the most about right now as we grow is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. It is a good reminder for me to take the time to say the hard stuff, but say it with the love and care about people. And then um, when I was on the wrong side of the Dunning-Kruger effect, I would say that Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday was super important to me. Okay. Uh, last question sure. before we wrap up. Any parting words you want to say to the listeners about product or anything about your learnings to date? It's not always fun, but if you love it and you know you love it, it's totally worth it. 
I think just keep learning, keep reading, keep listening to your people, to your users, and to yourself, and make really awesome products. Awesome. All right, Rachel, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for uh, for your time today and uh, coming on the show. And always thank you to our listeners for tuning in and supporting us. Uh,